This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com, coming to you with Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton. And don't forget that Rugger Matrix America is brought to you by USA 7's rugby tournament in Las Vegas in February 2013, along with the Las Vegas Invitational, also held right before and just about the same time. Uh, go to USA7s.com and get there February 7th, 8th. 9th and 10th also by rugby imports for everything you need to play rugby and get a rugby team straightened out go to rugbyimports.com and also we are delighted to welcome a new sponsor to the rugby matrix show hooker wines so if you uh, want to just relax and listen to the show and pour yourself a beautiful glass of wine uh, check out wines.com that's uh, hookerwines.com. We're very excited to have them on the show. You know what? I, before we get started, I just wanted to say that we're going to have another sponsor, and I'm going to be doing a uh, a podcast I named Brendan Radcliffe, who owns a, a website called The Rugby Site. It's therugbysite.com, and it's owned by Brendan Radcliffe, who, who used to be in the premiership in England. It's also owned by Wayne Smith, Graham Henry, and... Uh, those guys have put together a bunch of on coaching different aspects of the game in in terms of it's really it's very basic but it's excellent i've seen the videos that mike crone has done i've seen the videos that martin castro giovanni's done that graham henry has done wayne smith has done and there's a fantastic video by victor matfield i would encourage all coaches and players who are interested in lifting their game to uh, check out the rugby site. It's the rugby site.com and then, and really take a look at it. I think you'll get a lot of insight and I know that Mike Tolkien and I use it pretty extensively and it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty good resource. And I would encourage all people to use it, whether you are players or coaches at any level. Awesome. Excellent. Well, we've got a great show coming on. Uh, first of all, we're going to be talking about the ARC. And second of all, we're talk- going to be talking about the Eagles uh, in uh, on their tour in Europe. And uh, Bruce, that's a, that's a pretty busy time for your friend Mike Tolkien. But yes, it is a very busy time for Mike. He's been, he's been out coaching at the New York AC to keep himself sharp and you know, work on some of the different pattern aspects, some of the different phase options, some of the counterattack and, and defensive uh, strategies that he's looking to use. So it is definitely a busy time for him, not only administratively, but he's also trying to keep sharp on a coaching front. And then he's got to go over to Europe to meet with the IRB, as your article has has shown just today. So, yeah, there's a lot of busy stuff going on for him, no doubt about it. Pat? Is um, from a standpoint from a standpoint of the fan. Before we get into the analysis of the the national team stuff like that, from a standpoint of of a fan, and I, I guess I I lean on you as the uh, resident the, fan. the fans' eye view. Yeah, the resident fan because you actually talk to people outside of you know your little ivory tower, unlike me. So um, uh, do do people get excited about the ARC? Do people say you know so what's going to happen with the ARC or um, uh, is that our job? I think, you know, us rugby nerds get excited about it. Um, 
you know, the, the, the college coaches who maybe have a player on the team obviously get excited about it. Um, I'd say that the kind of the diehard fans, the, the, the more dedicated ones get excited about it. Um, and definitely I'm sure that there are a lot of people from once we talk about the roster from those respective universities, cause there's a lot of college kids here, they're going to be excited and, and people from, you know, the leagues that, uh, some of the club guys are playing in to get to play against them are going to be excited to see their names and follow it a bit. Um, I, I think they would get a lot more excited if we knew there was a guarantee we'd get to watch some of the games online or on TV or somewhere. But, uh, no, I think that there is a little bit of buzz about it. Um, especially if you happen to know somebody who's getting picked. Well, let's be, let's get started by just doing a quick education as to what the heck the ARC is. And, um, you know, uh, really, we'll go back to 2006. Uh, the IRB decided that uh, in conjunction with uh, USA and Canada, that uh, teams and players needed a level of play between club or all-star level and full international, some place where you could develop young players. So they they put a whole bunch of money behind a competition called the North American Four, uh, which if you really remember back then, it was going to be eight, eight teams, but it ended up starting with four. And that was supposed to be a development uh, project. In the end, neither the USA nor Canada used it so much as a development project as they used it as a training camp project to get their existing Eagles and almost Eagles some time playing um, nobody went really went to the matches. We talked about that in the last show, um, except for a couple of um, uh, there were a couple of instances where people did go when they held the finals in Glendale in 2008. It was actually it was actually pretty cool. Um, and the American one of the American teams got robbed, but we won't talk about that. Uh, that was financially a problem, and in the end, that was ditched in favor of something called the America's Rugby Championship, which originally was supposed to be um, a bunch of Canadian uh, provincial sides, a bunch of American uh, provincial or all-star teams playing in a competition that would funnel them into something with the Canadian champion, the American champion, uh, Argentina champion, and Uruguay champion. Uh, the U.S. never did that. All we did was we put together an A-side, and uh, whereas Canada has been doing that, they've been, they've been playing a provincial championship, they've been playing the Canadian Rugby Championship, um, and they're just about to finish it, to lead their way into putting together a Canadian A-side into the America's Rugby Championship. The USA doesn't have an all-star championship, so we just pick a team. And I know Mike Tolkien wants to have some kind of all-star championship back, but right now what we do is we pick a team, and it is the uh, the A sides, or the or, or you want to say the B sides, basically the, the 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 next level down for USA, Canada, and Argentina. And there's some debate as to whether Uruguay will be sending their full test team or uh, a second side. Um, but those are the, those are the four teams going in, and. Um, my thought, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts about this, the whole point of this was supposed to be young players, developing players, tomorrow's Eagles, giving them a taste of international rugby. That never happened until 2012. And in there, and we're going to talk about this lineup, but this lineup is almost entirely young players who are hoping to be Eagles, not journeyman guys who want one little shot at saying they made something or 
guys who are on the Eagles and just aren't playing enough. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to necessarily dive into it without saying some of the names, but yeah, they, um, I, I think I love, I look at the new lineup and I see the youth on it. Um, and I see some of the guys who have maybe fallen uh, off the wayside from age grade teams or guys who have uh, before not really given this kind of chance. Um, and I think it's great. I think this is exactly what the ARC is about. Um, and I think it's, it's somewhat scary when you put this kind of team together. Cause we not, it's not like, um, you know, our team was wrecking shop at the ARC before when we were using a lot of the known um, and capped national players um, in a mix with some, uh, you know, the domestic ones, being, you know, at least. Um, so you take a less experienced team and we throw it in. I don't know if the results will be what we want. Um, it's a little bit scary on that front, but I definitely think this is what this is. This is exactly what this venue is for is to put guys like this in an opportunity um, uh to show themselves and play against really high-level competition. I think it was difficult in the past for us because in Canada, too, I, I don't think that there were three or four sides even capable of playing at that level that they could have put together who would have been available. So I think that this this forum is a bit better. I don't think that the timing for us is ideal in that it's right in the middle of college school year and and players don't necessarily know that they're selected until they've already started their semester or pretty much paid for their semester. So I think that that keeps a, a bit of availability issues for us. But I think that they handled it the right way. And then I, I definitely saw or I spoke to Mike about a good portion of the team. I don't know the entire team, but I spoke to him about a good portion of it. And it was... It was actually a lot more talented and deep of a team than I had expected them to even have. So I think that they can. This is going to be a really good forum. It's gonna. It's gonna really. I think the expectations can be quite high in terms of results. But I think that what we really should look for more than we look for results. Can we identify four to six players? who are capable of moving into the test arena in the next year or so so that we can spend time developing them on the skills that they need to bring themselves to the next level so that they have a more complete game. Uh, most of the players will have something of a lim- – they'll have some limitations to their game that they need to develop out of, and I think that this, this is a great forum for it. All right, well, we'll be uh... – going through all the players right after this. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com Hey everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational. It's wrapped around, of course, the USA 7s International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level, uh, you've got the CRC qualifier, you've got... Uh, Women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s and 
you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link, and see how to pre-register. Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America, and we're talking about the America's Rugby Championship USA Selects lineup, and we talked about that this is a much more reasonably developmental team, uh, and we're going to go through it and we're going to find that I don't think there's anybody who has been capped more than three times on the team, and in previous years, we've had experienced Eagles on there just giving them another game. Bruce, you, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, Pat, you said you're worried about the results. Now, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about this later, but but I think people will accept difficulties in the results if they know we're developing players. Uh, when we send what is essentially our national team and they lose because there's not enough uh, emphasis on winning, and I know, Bruce, you've talked about this before, not enough emphasis on winning, then people get upset. So let's talk about, let's start up front. Let's talk about the props and hookers. Uh, they got four props, um, and they are Tony Papura from Boston, Tim Paulson from the Chicago Griffins, Nick Wallace from St. Mary's College, Zach Finoglio from now the Glendale Raptors. Uh, Andre Leofau was thought to be in the mix for this one, uh, but uh, because of his new training situation and work situation, he's actually not been able to train very much, and he basically stated that he's not fit. Um, uh, and then hookers, Derek Asbin, who's been playing with Roslyn Park and Wasps uh, B-side in England, and then Stan Mo'ali uh, from the Glendale Raptors. So, first of all, Bruce, this, this is your area, and, uh, especially. Tony Papura is a guy who I think in trying to get on the national team, and he played a little bit with the Eagles, but really discouraged. He sort of got thrown off the, you know, off the bus re-energized himself and um, really put a lot of energy into playing. And Tim Paulson is a guy who has aspirations for that. I talked to him just recently. He was very disappointed in himself when he went to the last camp because he basically found out while he's, you know, his play is okay, his fitness wasn't there and he's been working really hard. So talk about sort of that kind of mindset, trying to get yourself back at that level because it's tough. Well, I think number one, Tony is Tony is an excellent player. He's pretty good in a tight loose, and he's a and he's a good scrummager. The he he does lack a little bit of a consistency issue in in his scrummaging, and a little bit of consistency in the lineout. Now he he needs to br- he needs to bring that to the table, and I think that you know some of maybe him being thrown off the bus was due to due to the fact that he he possibly wasn't at full capacity in his ability to scrummage, nor was he at full fitness in terms of he was not as fit as he should have been. He was carrying quite a bit of extra weight. And I think that that's, that's pretty much the same situation with Paulson. Now, Paulson also has a bit of an experience, so he does get confused around the fringes in defense, or had been when I happened to go up to Eagle training session and seen them playing. He was kind of a deer in headlights when he was at the pillar A spot and, and was, and was really struggling defensively around the fringes. So I think that that, that kind of set him back a little bit on top of the fact that fitness was an issue. I think that for those two players, they definitely have capability of playing, but they really need to set their fitness bar a lot higher. And then I think that a lot of it comes down to a daily work ethic. 
Like Chris Osentowski, when he became the Eagle prop, he was playing loose head. He was being moved to hooker. And then when he finally set his mind to becoming a tight head prop and going down every single day and doing scrum setups and engagements, bringing the second row and doing engagements with the second row, keeping the spine in line, doing engagements with his second row and flanker, and doing things that really had a good, powerful triangle of players, a powerful trio in the, in the second row flanker spot in and along with the tight head, that he became a better player. Like he, His setup, his engagement, and his, and his head positioning – and, and ability to maintain tension through his core was world-class. It was as good of a setup as you and, and an engagement as you could hope for pretty much any of the players in the top five or six props in the world. And I think that because he was able to do that in such a short period of time, I think that other players should be able to do that if they take the time and the effort to – get themselves to become excellent at these skills. It's just like being a goal kicker. You got to go out and kick goals. You got to go out and kick touch. You got to make your drop kicks. You got to kick, you got to kick touch out of hand and you got to kick touch from penalties. And it's very similar to being a prop. You have to do scrum engagements. You have yeah, to do scrum the, setups. The, the only problem is you can practice goal kicking on your own. You could practice scrum engagements on your own. You go down and you get a machine. You could also practice scrum setups on your own. And you could also find a guy. If you're goal kicking, you pretty much need a guy to shag a ball for you. You can find a guy to fill in at second row for you. And, you know, it, that, that's part of being an excellent athlete is to having a daily routine and having a support staff around you. So while – it is the responsibility of the coaches to help you get that. It's also the responsibility of the players to make that happen. So you can't just sit and say, oh, I can't do it. There's a lot of people who endeavor at a high level in sport, especially a high level of amateur sport, that, re that require them to bring other people into the fold. And that's these players need to do that, and they need to get a support staff around them, and they need to be able to develop themselves in, in the techniques that they need to work on. And it's, it's critically important. And I think that when we start doing that, and there's about 50 or 100 guys who take that very seriously, then we'll have serious front row effort. I think that okay. one of the things that Bill LeClaire brought okay. Okay. was the fact that he cared. Those, those are your sort of your longer term club guys, uh, younger guys, Nick Wallace and Zach Finoglio, both. Uh, uh, All-Americans. Finoglio also played a lot of hooker, so it'd be interesting to see how he, he goes there. Wallace is a tremendous athlete. I was really impressed with his athleticism. He's actually played second row a little bit with, for St. Mary's. He qualifies for Canada. He was a Canadian under 21, uh, partly because of, you know, he, he played at Chuckanut up in northern Washington, uh, worked with Paul Horn there, who's Canadian, um, and, and not that Can Paul funneled him, but uh, if you know Paul Horn, if, if if he feels he's being slighted, he's going to let you know. So that kind of happened with Nick Wallace. If if Wallace Wallace suits up for the USA selects in any of these ARC games, he's he's declared for the United States for life. So I think it's a big move for him. Um, great athlete, uh, Finolio, uh, really good, solid player, possibly possibly the best All-American that I, that I saw, stretching it a little bit, uh, back, in, uh, back in last summer of uh, 2011. Uh, 
Pat, you've covered these guys a little bit. Um, and and here, this is where we don't really have high expectations for them to immediately break onto the Eagles. No, I, I mean, not right at the moment. You know, we seem right. pretty set on investing in uh, Sean Pittman and Eric Fry um, in the prop position. Um, you know, Mate and, and Mike McDonald are both getting older, so these guys' time is coming. I think Tony, having gotten a taste and gotten to play um, in an Eagles jersey probably, as you mentioned earlier, feels a bit like uh, a bit slighted and is probably pretty motivated to get back into uh, get back into it. And, I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, into rugby. I mean, he's working for Rugby Imports, and he's actually fallen in love with it. Um, he was one of those conversion, you know, con- college converted guys. Um, he didn't start playing until he was in college, if I remember correctly. Um, so he, I, he's a guy who's fully invested in playing rugby. So um, I, I think he feels like his time is now. And maybe he is a guy that could push um, for it. But the other guys are all mighty young. And I wonder about, um, you know, to go from scrumming against teams like, you know, Humboldt State and, um, you know, Central Washington to scrumming against the teams, the guys are going to scrum against in the ARC. It's a big move for a guy like Nick Wallace or Zach Fenoglio. Um And Zach, one thing I'll say about him is I kept asking every time I would interview somebody from Belmont, whether it was, um, Gavin Hickey or who, you know Ray Egan, whoever I was interviewing over there saying, we were, they're talking about Mike Teo and how Mike Teo played hooker for U20 and they're talking about how they have this great two hookers on the team at the same time and they can move Mike around and I just I asked do you ever put Mike Teo at hooker and, and let Zach prop because Zach's got a prop <laughs> body as well and they kind of just said no, nah, no, nah, we see him as a hooker so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if he actually does get time in the fr- as yeah. a prop Yeah, I, I've seen him at prop so I don't know I think that they're going to have to put them at prop because they got to play the 23-man roster. But, um, you know, I, I think that Wallace and, and, and Fenolio have a very similar issue to Papora and and Paulson, and it, it, it's not so much their ability as opposed to their fitness levels. And I, and I think that that's, that's going to be the thing that really is going to decide who's going to be the fit player, who's going to be the guy with work rate, who's going to be the guy with ticker, and that's that's where I think that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna we're gonna see something in the prop position. That that's I think what they're looking for there is who's gonna be the hard guy, who's gonna be the guy who can who gets excited at the five meter scrum, who's gonna be the guy who can turn the scrum to the right when they kick a kickoff out of bounds or something like that. Those that's what they're gonna be looking for in terms of that. And you know, in, as far as the hooker position goes, I definitely love the Derek Gasman selection. I don't know a whole lot about the. Uh, the, the hooker from Glendale. Stan I, Mo'Ali, I, yeah, yeah I, I probably would have gone with Connor Coyne in that in that circumstance. I mean, obviously, I know Connor. He's played for us for three years. Um, that that would have been my choice. I but I also understand that you know Mike gets to coach Connor twice a week, every week, so he sees him all the time. So he knows what he knows what the expectations are, and he made his decision based on that. So, but that has rejuvenated Connor. Connor has definitely uh, taken his skill of hooking far more seriously than he had in the past. So we'll see what happens along the lines moving forward with that. Let me say about Stan, I've seen Stan play on several occasions. I think he's a high work rate kind of guy. He's also gone out and played some flankers. So the new age hooker that um, is the third, you know, flanker or considered another member of the back row, I think he fits that mold um, in terms of his actual scrummaging I can't tell you because I don't pretend to be a scrummaging expert 
Um, but I think he's a good player with a high work uh, work rate, and he's definitely I think he's physically is big enough to um, to withstand international play. So Bruce, we could really tell that you've been hanging around with foreigners. First of all, you say sport. That's what you do in sport, no S on the end. And then you start talking about somebody with ticker. When we're talking about the wings, are we going to talk about somebody having a lot of toe? Please. I don't know. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned about your development as a human being. Uh, or I suppose as an American. That would be unfair for me to say it's a human being. Uh, Derek Asbin, I, you know, one of the things about Derek Asbin, first of all, he, goes, he went to Cal. He captained Cal. Uh, and we talked about this before, but I, it, I, I still find it fascinating. Tom Billups. Retired from the Eagles in 1999, he helped groom his successor from Cal, Kirk Segian, who was a flanker, converted into uh, a hooker. Uh, Chris Miller played for the Eagles from Cal. Uh, he was actually a, a front row guy all the way through. Um, Joe Welch was a flanker, converted to hooker under Billups. Um, Brian McClanahan was a prop, converted to hooker under Billups. Chris Miller was a, a hooker under Billups. And then Derek Asbin, a flanker number eight, converted to hooker uh, with the help. I mean, he still works with Tom Billups uh, when he's back in the States. And uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. I don't think I've missed anybody there. Six hookers since 99 groomed or helped to be or coached by Tom Billups to be a hooker on on the national team. Derek Asbin has been uh, submitted his dissertation. Um, on the branding of the British Empire to uh, Oxford. He's, he's done with Oxford. He's still in the UK. And he, I think he's one of the only guys, there are a couple of other guys, uh, uh, UK-based guys on this team. They're supposed to be domestic, um, but he's playing sort of loosely. He's not contracted really with anybody. So um, he's going to come back and play. And I think both of these guys are, Moali and, and Asbin, are high mobility players and that's clearly a message from from Tolkien. That's what he wants. Um, there's a I, I would I would submit I don't know there maybe there may be a shortage of really top level hookers in the game right now in the USA. There's certainly a problem on lock, and I love um, I love Mike's choices at lock here. Tom Catsfy, That's kind of an obvious choice because he's a guy who is in the the setup all through June um, kind of got a look, but he's he's just not quite there yet. Nick Savetta uh, played at Notre Dame, was an All-American. He's six eight, possibly as, high, as tall as six nine. They really need height. Don't have height, and so height with a little bit of rugby ability. Well, let's get him in there and let's get working. See what we've got. And then Graham Harriman, Chicago Griffins, like Tim Paulson, went overseas to did some work. And has come back uh, a better player, a more dedicated player. Um, and and there are some guys in the flankers who also play second row. Chris Headley, obviously. Eric Duchel is another one. Um, and I think they're going to have to. Uh, what do you like about this group? Or what don't you like about this group, uh, Bruce? Savetta's uh, six six because he plays for the AC, so I know. But um, really, okay. Well, yeah. you know, I've been. This is no. the problem with when you talk to coaches and and somebody says, "Oh, he's six eight. I, you know, especially seeing as all the coaches are more my height. Okay, he's he's six six, but he's a pretty thick guy. He's a he's a big boy. He's he's a little bit bigger than Doyle um, through the legs. I, I I really like him. I, one of the reasons that I really like Tommy Katzfi is. When he was with the AC, what I what I found out of him was, although he's a, a lean, tall guy, he is an excellent 
scrummage pusher. And, and I think that that's going to be quite helpful. And I think that in, in having a kid from the, having a kid from the Griffins, that gives a little bit of stability to Paulson because he's playing with a guy that he plays with regularly. Savetta is a, is a big, strong guy. He definitely needs a bit of work on his scrummage technique and he definitely needs a little bit of work on his speed up in the line out. But he's a big physical player. He's a big presence. He's a good presence. And if he can get his fitness level up and if we can work at work with him on getting his speed along the ground and speed into the air and his scrummage technique down, he's, a, he's highly dedicated. He's very motivated. He wants to play. He is doing all the work. He's doing everything that's been asked of him. And he's made tremendous improvements. I think that he he can he can provide a lot. But I think out of that trio there, you're really going to be what they're really going to be looking for is Tommy Catsfire to take a step up. Is like Tommy's really going to have to start moving piles. Tommy's going to have to start taking the ball, and he's going to have to be able to bust line, and he's going to have to be able to make little offloads here and there. And he has those basketball skills. He should be able to do it. I think that. This team is going to be fantastic at restart reception. They're all ca- quite capable of it. And I am a huge fan of Chris Headley. And, and I, I do see Chris as a second row. I think he's a, probably a little bit slow as a flanker. He, he's not the tallest guy in the world. He's probably 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, but he's, he's, he's a good line-out operator. He's a really tough guy. The one thing he brings is he brings a lot of – he's – very, very disciplined, very, very hard, and he'll accept his role for what it is. If his role is to come off the bench and play 20 minutes or 30 minutes, he'll come off the bench and give you a very, very hard and physical 20 minutes. He's, he's, he's tough in defense. He's a good ball carrier, and, and he's a good clear-out man. Where, where he breaks down is the fact that he's not necessarily doesn't have the, the maximum height for the line-out and while he's a good scrummager, he's not a fantastic scrummager. And, and I think that so the skill of second row, they're trying to see can he do it in the back row. I think as a back rower, he'll be a good shove in the scrum. And that'll give these guys a bit of uh, – that'll give these guys a, a, up front a bit of weight behind them and a bit of structure behind them so that they can have the confidence to maintain their core tension and trust that their five will fire that front row in. That's going to be the biggest thing. Are they going to trust that? Let me make an un fair comparison you talk about lean hard players and uh people start thinking like alec parker is is cats capable of being someone like alec parker who was the toughest hardest of those lean tall guys i mean you could never get put any weight on parker but he was he was uh, a tremendous player in in contact Tommy Katzfeld is a better athlete than Alec Parker. He, he, he's a more athletic player. So the upside on him is high. Also, Tommy comes from a rugby family. Tom's dad was a longtime rugby player in Wisconsin, was a president of Wisconsin Union. So he, he comes from a family that is going to support his rugby endeavors fully. Now, Alec Parker was in an environment where he played with the best players in our country for a very long period of time, and he was extremely dedicated to being fit, and he was a nasty, hard man. Now, is does Tommy have that edge? I don't know that Tom has that necessarily 
the edge on him that Alec Parker has, but he has a little bit more in terms of his footwork and in terms of his athleticism around around the park. He he might be able to give you something from a second row. Tommy's the kind of guy where he could take a ball and he can go thirty with it. You know, he he has he he has the he's probably even a little bit better athlete than Brian Doyle, and he, he would be. And and I think that it's it's just going to be a matter of is he going to be able to put it all together and do it for 80 minutes and do you know is he going to move piles over and over and over is he always going to be switched on in the lineout is he always going to be switched on in the scrum is he always going to be switched on with the restarts that's the thing that the great players like a Parker or or even a Brian Doyle or a Kevin Swords or guys like that they do the basics over and over and over again and they don't get bored with doing them. And they're just dissatisfied to continually do the basics and continually be in the bottom of the pile and then doing the grunt work. And those are the types of people that actually win games for you. So that's what they're going to need to see out of Tom. Not only use his athleticism, but on top of it, he's going to have to add that grunt to it. Well, we we also have some guys in second row. We touched on them a little bit. Um, your your Sorry, your back row. And, and the back row guys are five of them. Uh, Eric Duschel, Taylor Mokate, John Quill, Cam Dolan, Chris Headley. So uh, just a real quick bio on these guys. Eric Duschel uh, played rugby, uh, st- started playing rugby his last year. There's an, Actually, there's a really nice profile coming out on Rugby Magazine, uh, the digital edition. You should look and find out about uh, Duschel. Interesting guy. Uh, started the rugby program at T.C. Williams High School. Played for that team uh, their first year, then went on to play football at Air Force Academy, left the football program because it was getting in the way of his studies, took up rugby again, played at Air Force, and then played several years for the all-Air Force team, uh, usually making the Armed Forces Championship uh, all-tournament team. But it, uh, whenever he showed up, I mean, he, he was in the NA4 at some point. He was in various camps. Injuries, different things came about, and he was also in the military. Uh, he's He had a tremendous year, a summer for Belmont Shore in sevens, and um, may well be looked at for the national sevens team. But right now, he's, he's on the ARC group. He's, he's a big, tough, uh, ornery back row guy. Taylor Mokate, former USA U20, a uh, high school player in Texas, University of Oklahoma, uh, then went played in New Zealand, and he's back. He's actually contracted as a sevens player, but it's uh, I, I think he's preferred to go to the ARC at this point. John Quill is a uh, he was born. Uh, excuse me. Uh, John Quill's mother was born in the United States. Uh, he uh, grew up in Ireland. He's been playing for Dolphin and for the Munster Select sides, and he's moved to Boston. Uh, and he's playing for the Boston club and looking to play for the Eagles. Very simple there. Tremendously experienced uh, back row guy. Uh, really, really good at, as a, a ball hawk, kind of a poacher guy. Cam Dolan, uh, USA under 20, uh, Life University. He is still an undergrad at Life University. Tall, uh, line-out guy, very mobile uh, and and Chris Headley, and we talked about him, a Life University uh, Super League player, um, one of those players that you really just don't like playing against, flat out just don't like playing against. So, um, uh, well, taking a look at that back row, what it has is it has balance. 
and and great back rows like the English back row in 2003 had tremendous balance. Cam Dolan provides you with aerial ability in the lineout second to none, and he also provides you with a fantastic ball-running athlete and a player who can play off the base of the scrum. And he can he can use the ball left and right off the base, and he can handle off the base. Cam Dolan's a fantastic athlete. Eric Duchel used to play for Pack, so I'm very familiar with him. He is a very powerful, powerful guy, and also a very powerful guy who can play number eight. And he is physical. He's big. He is all of it. He took an injury to his knee, and then he came back better than ever. And I think that. This is going to be a nice opportunity to let him shine. Taylor Mokate is a tremendous, fantastic athlete. The thing that I think that they need out of this team is they're going to need Quill and Mokate to be guys who can really have work rate and hit rucks and hit rucks hard and make that ball so that our players can stay on their feet and that they can emerge with a quick go-forward ball that they had on their feet. I think that is a, that's going to be of massive importance. So, and then Headley, as I said, I think that Headley's kind of like a James Denise type of guy. He's just a tough guy who can do everything. And but I I do see that Headley may may slop into the second row, maybe a little bit more often than at back row. This 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 back row is very good, and combined with Derek Asbin, this can really be a team that can get around the field. The, I, I think that the back five, the second rows that they have, the back rows that they have, and Aspen can really allow us to play the type of game that can be very go forward, very physical, very aggressive. We'll be able to play off nine. We'll be able to play off ten. They'll be able to run simple phase options with little, little, uh, little decision making pieces into it based on what the defense gives them. And some of these guys can really have it going. And 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 I think that. By having that kind of balance and having those types of guys, especially Quill and Aspen, who can who who knock over who knock over rucks and do the work, if those second rowers, if Savetta and Catsfy, Duchel and and Taylor Mokate and Cam Dolan start to get themselves into a mindset that it doesn't matter who has the ball, that we're staying on our feet and we're driving and we're gonna we're gonna make this thing go forward. And if everybody has a team first mentality, this can be a very athletic good, excellent team to play for. These guys are very gifted. There's not anybody in that team, in, especially in the back five at Hooker, that I have any doubts about. I don't have that's doubts good. about any of those players, and that's the thing that's very exciting. And if the front row players can scrummage, they're all going to be able to line out. The line out will be fine. If the front row players can scrummage well and get around the track as much as they need to. Michael, Michael mix things up if there's fitness issues. He'll go to, you know, he'll bring the ball back down the blind side and, and use those guys and not run them around the track if they didn't have to. But they will be a very effective and potent pack. I promise you that. That's, that this, is, this is a very good pack. That it's, this Part of this team was what I was excited about. And, and I think that right in there, I, I don't have doubts about any of those players. And, and normally I would have doubts about players, not these guys. 
The, one of the thing, the guy that really I'm looking at is John Quill, and, and, and the reason is because when whenever teams go overseas or go to a tournament like this, where a lot of the guys are in their first or second or just a handful of international experience uh, around them, most of their experience has been with American refs who police the breakdown a certain way. Um, and and we we know actually they police the breakdown in, in a way that they don't really allow a lot of wiggle room on the rules. Um, that's fine for refs. I'm not going to say the refs are doing the wrong thing, except that players go overseas and find that their opponents are doing things the American players would think they'd get penalized for. So then we get the things saying, well, they they were able to do certain things in the breakdown. They were able to slow down the ball. They were able to do this. We were naive. We were and and and. All of that stuff ends up being turnovers against the Americans, um, inability to get quick ball against the Americans, and they struggle. John Quill has been playing against uh, uh, with referees from all over the United Kingdom and Europe as well. He has played – I talked to him about this. He's played all kinds of different uh, standards from the referee as to what's allowed in the breakdown, and he – will play the whole thing that way. He's going to be the guy to test the limits. And he's going to play right up to that limit. And we need somebody like that. Well, the thing is, you, you can play up to the limit, but you got to play the referee. And the fact of the matter is, you can't control the referee. And if you start using the referee, you have a built-in excuse. You can't give guys excuses. There are no excuses. What these guys are going to be able to do that's going to be great is that they're a big, strong, fit, powerful back row, second row, and hooker that can create dynamic go-forward situations where our ball carrier is on their feet. If our ball carriers can stay on their feet for that extra second and get that go-forward and get in behind the defense, put the defense slightly on their heel, and get us quick ball, then we'll be able to operate. If we go down like we've been shot and allow those defenders to clamp in down on the ball, then we're in trouble. But the fact of the matter is we have players who can do this, and they're going to do it. That's why I'm excited about the team. You can't worry. What you got to do is you got to clear the space beyond the ball. So regardless of whatever happens, you got to clear the space beyond the ball, whatever, no, offensively or defensively. You got to get in and take up that space. And if you can do that, you win the collision area. It doesn't matter. The referee's taken out of play, and that's what they have to do. They have to take the referee out of play by staying on their feet and driving past the ball. And if they do that, we'll be in. We'll be in. We'll be off to the races. It'll be a good team to watch. We will talk about the backs when we come back on Rugby Matrix America. Hey fans, go to rugbyimports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to rugbyimports.com. Hey, everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational. It's wrapped around, of course, the USA 7th International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, You've got the CRC qualifier. You've got... uh, Women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s and 
you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link, and see how to pre-register. We're back on Rugby Matrix America. We're talking about the America's Rugby Championship uh, and the the squad that's been named. We're into the backs. Scrum half, uh, Sean Davies, Benny Matalona. There's really not a lot to say about this. Uh, Sean Davies is certainly being groomed as a backup to Mike Petri. Uh, there's no point in putting Petri on this team right now. We know that he's the the, the starter and one of the leading players on uh, the national team. Benny Matalona, former USA under 19, under 20. Um, I wouldn't want to say kind of disappeared. He's been playing Super League Rugby all this time, sometimes at center, sometimes at scrum half. He can play both. Uh, versatile, very smart guy. The The question is that, you know, at, at, at some point, a player looks around and says, what do I want? What do I want next? And, I, and the story behind him is he's really been working on his fitness. Uh, Pat, you've, you've seen both these guys. You've seen him in person. Um, uh, what what do you what can you tell me about them? Because they're, they're kind of different styles of players. Um, they are I, somewhat different styles of bodies for sure. Benny's a bigger bodied guy, wider shouldered guy. Um, you know, a physical guy for a scrum half. But I think they both have the ability to run um, really really well, and probably better runners than Mike Petrie, um, um, or the potential to be better runners than Mike Petrie. But um, I like them both a lot. And with Benny, I say about time. Because from the first time I ever saw Benny play, and I think it was oh, the college you know, all-star championships like three years ago, two or three years ago, he was playing with the South the first year they'd won it um, in, in this string. I thought he was the best player on the field when he jumped out. I mean, he really jumped out to me. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad he's finally getting a look and a chance to play. So, you know, he, he is a physical guy. Um, can he be consistent with the, with the service? And if he can, then he brings a lot to the table. Um, in terms of what he can do with ball in hand as well. And Sean, Sean Davies, we know Sean Davies uh, from playing for BYU. He is a great runner, but he's worked brilliantly with Ryan Roundy at number eight and Dylan Luby at uh, fly half for years for them. And, I mean, it just seems like a progression for him. Yeah, I, think I, that... I like Sean a lot. And I think that um, I'm glad he took the little arm swing away from his pre-kick preparation. Um, because that was just kind of obnoxious, but no, Sean's a, Sean's a great player and, um, he's a pesky dude and he could take a lot of punishment too. So even though he's small, um, there are a couple of guys on this team that I worry about their slight build and whether or not they can withstand the pressure. But Sean Davies gets a lot of nicks and late hits that he is able to overcome and keep playing. Um, so I think Sean's a fantastic player. And I do think he is, um, right now, probably the number two scrum half in America. And I think that, um, he's showing that he wants to stay here and play here and, and, and be committed to it. So, yeah, I think he's definitely earned that spot, and I think he's going to continue to earn it. I think Sean and Benny are pretty similar players. Benny's just a bigger player, but I think that what they're, what they're going to what they're gonna bring is they're going to be able to play off nine. They're going to be able to play off that fringe, and they're going to be able to use that size and power that they have in the pack in the ARC, and I think that that's going to be a good combination for them, and I think that that's – that's a nice scrum half thing. They both can kick. They both can run. They both can tackle. They both can organize the fringes. And Benny has been playing. He's been playing center. He's been playing, but he's been playing a lot of scrum half. Brendan Thompson's down at life, but Benny's a really good scrum half. They've been working on him. He's in a, you know, he's in a high performance environment every day. So he's going to be able to bring it, bring the noise. And I think Sean's going to bring the noise. And I think it's going to be, I think it's a, 
Great choices there. I'm really happy with that. It's no surprise that Life University is providing some players uh, for this team, partly because, like I said, that, that there is a high-performance environment, that they are focused on training for their rugby. But the, the other side of it is that Dan Payne, a USA uh, assistant coach and also director of rugby at Life, has, has formulated his schedule in such a way he's trying to um, get these players ready to play in the ARC and, and things like that. He's able to do that. And obviously um, they're able to work with schedules and stuff like that. So it's, it's, um, it, it's something where he want players to get up there. And I'm not saying that somebody at, um, you know, to pick an obvious example, Cal is like, they don't want their players to play at the elite level. Of course they do, but they just can't get away from class. Um, and there are some players, obviously, who might have been wanted. Mike Tolkien might have wanted on this team. Seamus Kelly is an obvious example, uh, but he just can't get away from school. Fly half. Uh, Volney Rouse uh, at, at this discussion uh, pending a, a check on his knee. Uh, Garrett McDonald and Zach Pangelinen. And uh, Rouse, uh, he's a guy who's been there. People keep watching him play for the San Francisco Golden Gate and say, why not Rouse? Um, he's... Uh, Good distributor of the ball, good goal kicker, physically strong. He's got some speed. Um, Zach Pangelina is a very nifty runner, very shifty. Uh, potentially, uh, he's played a lot of sevens as well. Um, he can kick for goal. Um, he's he's quick. He's actually played wing in the NA4. Uh, Garrick McDonald, he, he is the guy not really uh, super well-known, but he has been playing in Ireland. He uh, has been uh, an age-grade player at Leinster uh, and played for Old Belvedere as well. He is a phenomenal goal kicker. He is tall, kind of rangy. I looked at the... Um, I looked at some uh, pictures of him. He puts me in mind of John Rutherford, if you want to go back about 30 years, for Scotland. A scrawny guy who's still very physically strong, got a great sidestep, can run. But the, the number one thing that he's uh, in this – and by the way, McDonald was born in the United States, which is why he qualifies for the Eagles. Um, he can kick. He can kick for goal. He can kick from the hand. Mike Tolkien has picked him. Uh, partly almost sight unseen, but just on recommendation, simply to say, all right, let's have a look at a fly half who can distribute, can run, and can kick for goal. Why not? Well, I think that this is this is the position that is the wild card here. With Volney's knee issue, it's a it's a PCL issue. He's not sure as to his fitness at this moment, and 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 I think that. Zach at, at fly half is definitely a wild card to say the least just because he, he just hasn't been in, in the mix to be able to do – to be able to play fly half at a level that possibly he needs to play to go into this. So he'll, he'll be a little bit inexperienced. And then the Irish kid, nobody really knows, although he, he does come recommended from Tony Smith. But you know I'm, I'm, sure, he's, I'm sure he's a gifted player. It's still going to be a matter of – getting all the guys working together and playing. I th that's going to be an area that they're going to have to protect him. They, whoever's playing fly half, uh, outside of only who's got a bit of experience, I, I think that they're going to have to protect that guy. So it's, it's important that they have a strong back row and, and a strong scrum half, which they do. And I think that, uh, that the key is going to be, can they protect the fly half and allow them to orchestrate our game? And not give them. We can't be giving our fly half hit ball. 
we have to be giving up fly half good ball. And so that's going to be the job of the pack to make sure that they're protected. You know, one of the things about getting a guy sight unseen is I, I think Tolkien is, is certainly concerned also with how a player fits in on the team. And I've talked to him about, you know, what about this guy? And he goes, oh, well, he's okay, but he's not a good team guy. So Garrett McDonald, does he come in and is he a good team guy? He's also, he's very young. He's only 20. So it's likely that he's not going to come in with his chest puffed out and say, I, I'm the one you should all listen to. But it's important to see how somebody like a fly half who nobody's ever seen, nobody's ever spoken to, uh, fits into a team uh, like a United States team. Irish guys tend to be pretty cool. Irish guys and Australian guys are pretty easy to work with. They're, they they tend to – their culture is, is extremely similar to American culture. And is, as far as the East Coast goes, almost everybody who plays is either Irish or Italian. And then, you know, so Australians and Irish always fit in pretty well. I, I wouldn't doubt that so much. I just think that youth and inexperience, they're, they're going to be fitting themselves into – a group of guys on the team and they're going to have to orchestrate the game. I just think they're going to need the protection. I think as far as team guys go, they'll be fine. I, like I said, Irish and Australian guys are usually pretty easy to, to cope with. Pat Clifton, goal kicking. How, uh, you know, you look at, we, we start talking about this. We're going to talk about Joe Cowley as well. Uh, Mike Tolkien has picked uh, five guys, Cowley, Pangelina, McDonald, Rouse, and Sean Davies, who can kick goals very effectively. Uh, obviously that's a concern. Well, yeah, it's got to be a concern, especially if you paid attention to the Eagles um, over the last several years. Uh, it's a huge concern. Now, I, it doesn't mean you give up. I don't think you give up a lot of uh, – you don't want to give up a bunch, you know, between the 22s just to be able to have a guy you can kick at the goal. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's a big deal. And I'll talk more about Cali when we get down to this position. But um, it's definitely a big deal. And I don't know that any of these guys um, that I've seen play have a true – truly – great international boot um i don't know that volney rouse does i don't know that sean davies does i mean they could kick the ball um and they're better than some of the guys we've seen take wax at it um over the last year or so but i don't know that there's a truly class you know international class boot in the bunch we'll see what the irish kid brings to the table but um i'm not 100 percent convinced on any of these guys in terms of their ability to kick because I've, I've seen joe Cali, you know in the d1a miss some goal shots of goal that he, I know he wishes he had back wind regardless. Um, there are shots of goal that he sh- you know, he should make. Um, so I'm not hundred percent sh- sold on him being the most consistent kicker um, either. Well, interesting. Davies, I always think Davies is accurate, but he doesn't have the distance. Uh, Rouse actually has distance, but I'm you know not sure about consistency on accuracy. Pan- you know, Pangelinen, he actually has some distance too, but again, accuracy. Do we have somebody who can kick, not only get all the ones you should get, and then get an acceptable percentage of the hard ones? We don't. They just got to make the kicks from the 40 and 15 box and going to make half of them outside of it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Okay. If they make all their kicks in the 40, 15 box and they make half the kicks that they attempt outside of it, they'll be fine. Moving on to the midfield, which is an interesting group of players. Uh, Casey Clark, who is a guy who's played some rugby league in Florida and in Australia, played union in Montana, and then uh, for a year in New Zealand as a a high school postgrad. Very physical, 
uh, solidly built guy. Perhaps puts you in mind of, of Paul Emmerich a little bit, um, although he's not as shifty as Paul Emmerich, but he, maybe he's got the same hair. Uh, really, really wants this. He's very young, too. He's 22. Uh, Jack Tracy, former USA under 20, um, a guy whose life kind of derailed for a while, and he's grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and put it back on the rails and played really well for Belmont Shore in sevens this summer. Zach Mizell, who um, was considered... And 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 Pat and I spent a lot of time talking about our All-American picks. And we didn't put Zach Mizell on our All-D1A team. And then we went down to the finals between Arkansas State and BYU. We looked at each other and said, wow, here's a guy who performed big on a big stage. He was tremendous for Arkansas State in that D1A final that Arkansas State just lost to BYU. And uh, we picked him as an All-American. USA Rugby picked him as an All-American and fully deserved. He's a he's a skinny guy, but he's, he's physically strong, smart, aggressive. And then Chris Chapman, who is a uh, fast and very versatile back for New York Athletic Club. He could probably play virtually anywhere, and I think with this actually small back line, he probably needs to. Needs to. So, um, uh, Bruce, first of all, tell me about Chapman and uh, and talk a little bit about what you know about the other guys. I think in the, in the center position, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to play within themselves. There's not a lot of players with a whole lot of experience. They're going to have to defend. They're going to have to understand their roles in defense. They're going to have to play solid first-phase defense. And they have to play within themselves and get themselves over the game line, keep their feet, and generate quick ball. If they start to try to do too much and force crap ball across the field and do silly things, they're going to wind up beating themselves. So the key to these guys, the fact is they're extremely inexperienced. They're extremely young. They have to play within themselves, and they have to base their entire game on defense and go forward. Everything else has to take a back seat to it. Chapo, Chris Chapman is a... Uh, is a, a utility back. He, he primarily plays fullback for the AC. He can play in the midfield. He's a solid tackler, good kicker, got a good pass. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's about 185 pounds, but he, he's, he's a gifted player. And I think that what he's going to bring to the team, more so than anything, is he's going to bring a little bit of leadership and a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of keeping the guys kind of calm and, and, and centralized. He, uh, now, where he fits into that mix, I'm not exactly sure how Mike's going to use him, but I would. Uh, I, I think that the biggest thing for these guys right now is I don't know a lot about them. I've I've seen Zach play in the in in the in in the pod in the webcast and and on the uh, and on the TV when they played BYU. He's a good player, but again, they're going to need to play within themselves. They try to do too much, that could be a really recipe for disaster. So I think that that's again. They're going to have to protect their fly half defensively and give them go forward. They just have to – everybody has to play within themselves there. This is going to be a work in progress, this back line. Certainly will be. Casey Clark, uh, he's not – like I said, he's played some league, but he's not – I wouldn't call him a rugby league guy over a union. I think he's played both. But defensively, he's going to be very strong. He's going to be able to tackle – what is he going to do in the breakdown? I think that's going to be a significant issue is how does he handle uh, the breakdown and the laws around the breakdown and not getting penalties when he makes those tackles. This is probably the crop of players that I'm most excited to see how they do. Um, it, Zach Mizell, I've probably seen Zach Mizell play 
um, as much or more than any of the talking heads in American rugby. Um, I've seen him play a lot in the Seventh Circuit. I've seen him play for Arkansas State. Um, Mizell is one of the three guys who I look at this roster and worry about the way that they're built. Um, he's a very slight guy, very lean, very defined, a strong kid, and he's a lot stronger now than he was two years ago. Um, and that's visibly, you know, you can you can see that on him. Um, and you saw when he fought through a tackle to score a try against BYU as well. Um, but that said, and the, the same thing can be said about Cam Dolan, um, but I worry about Dolan, Mizell, and Callie and how they're going to hold up in contact against much bigger, broader-shouldered, um, thicker competition than they're used to playing, especially a guy like Cam Dolan and Zach Mizell who have to be confrontational in contact um, a lot throughout the game. And I've seen Mizell throw his body at the big centers from BYU, um, but that's just one game out of the year. I don't know how he can hold up against international competition on a regular basis. Um, so I am a little bit worried about that. And Arkansas State asked Zach to kick from 13 quite a bit. I don't know if this um, team will ask him to do it, um, but I think it's a, I think he can do it. And if they do, I think Zach um, um, could rise to the occasion there because, as we've all talked about, the fly half is kind of up in the air depending on who's, who's on the field at any time. Um, but Casey Clark is really exciting to watch. Um, I guess Alex said enough to be said about him, but Jack Tracy is an enormous body. He is much bigger than all these other guys. Very wide, very thick. Don't worry about how he's going to hold up in contact, but I wonder what his lateral quickness is um, and how well he's going to be able to tackle in space. He played well um, in, in sevens, but I would say a lot of his highlights came on offense when he was stronger and able to initiate the contact um, than they did on defense. Uh, so how he moves in space will be interesting to me, um, but definitely uh, a very big, strong guy going north and south on the field. And if he can prove that he has lateral, um, the lateral quickness to play in the centers, um, I think that's a, a, a big thumbs up and it could be a good sign going forward for, for the Eagles in their midfield. Sounds to me like we've got two combinations. We've got a, uh, a big guy. We've got combinations where you have a big guy with experience and a little guy with less experience or a big guy without experience and a littler guy with experience. And maybe those are the combinations you need. So you go with, you go with Clark and Chapman and you go with Tracy and Mizell. Yeah, absolutely. I, you hit the nail on the head, I think. Pat had talked a little bit about kicking from center there. Uh, Mike will put that in. Mike, Mike actually used to play outside center and kick quite a bit from there in that position. I, I think that he probably would, would, would send the centers on blocker runs and, and feed Cowley with a longer ball and have Cowley do the kick. And what, what I do see, is, especially if he has Chappie playing or if he has or, or Cowley, he will, once they get to the middle of the field, I would expect to see a lot of double fly half stuff. I would expect to see them busted into a uh, into kind of a three pot operation where they go either way and take what's given to them. So they have enough ball. They have enough guys who can who could ball play out there. So it's just going to be a matter of reading those circumstances and and taking advantage when they're on. And we finally come down to three more players. Uh, your wings and fullback: uh, Dean Garicki from Arkansas State, Miles Craigwell from Opeja Sound Beach and Joe Cowley from Life. Now, Miles Craigwell was, remember, it's been a a weird little uh, route for Miles Craigwell. He was a football player at Brown, uh, saw the CRC, uh, the USA 7 CRC on TV in 2010, said, I kind of want to do that, called up his agent, 
got hooked up with playing uh, sevens at New York Athletic Club and under the wing of Al Caravelli, was very quickly put on the USA national team where he got some minutes, had some good moments, some other moments not so good. And eventually he's ended up in Seattle and he's been playing uh, for Old Puget Sound Beach. Uh, Alex Magleby's philosophy with him, now the, uh, the new USA sevens coach, uh, is been get Craigwell as much time playing rugby as possible. And uh, the, the feeling is that he's actually a better 15s wing than he is a sevens player. He actually doesn't have the breakaway speed that you necessarily need to be a wing in sevens in, internationally, but he has that physicality to bust through people on 15s. So he's been playing 15s for Beach uh, for, for this entire season. Uh, and this is his shot to say, I can make that next jump. I think it's a big, it's a big tournament for Miles Craigwell. Joe Cowley, a very good, talented kicking uh, fullback. Dean Garicki, he's 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 there to run in tries, but he's not highly experienced. Uh, he's also a guy who has played some center in college. Um, I, I I think Tolkien is is anticipating plenty of traffic out there on on the perimeter, so. Um, Pat, first of all, tell me about Dean Garicki because I, I think he's probably the most unknown player of these three. Well, Dean, um, he played in the centers for Arkansas State, and he, um, he's he got some a little bit of wiggle to him. I mean, you look at the guy, you don't think athletic center. You, you certainly don't when you look at him. He's kind of tall, um, I would guess around 6'3"-ish. Um, and he, if he walked out to your practice and you had to throw him into a place, you might say, all right, go play flanker. But he... Um, he can. He's surprisingly quick. He's got a, kind of an odd gait when he runs, but he is surprisingly quick side to side. Um, is good controlling his body in contact, um, so he, he can definitely offload. And he's surprisingly somewhat fast, faster than you would think. But I'll say that none of these three guys have that after-burning speed. Um, so I, I will say it's a kind of a slow back three combination you have. Um, and Dean is not. He's not a really really fast guy, but he's faster than you think when you look at him. Um, but he's a good player. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Miles Craigwell, I agree 100% with the assessment that he's going to be a better um, 15s wing than a 7s player. I've said over and over and over again, and no one will listen to me, that I think that Miles needs to be a prop in 7s if he's going to compete there. But I, I 100% agree with your assessment as well that this is a huge tournament for him. Um, and then um, uh, Joe Cowley, I don't want it to come across as though I'm uh, – I underestimate Joe Cowley, but I because I think he's a fantastic player. He's obviously still really young. What was he a sophomore last year? I think in life, um, really young, small bodied. Um, but I will say that I think that the pedestal he's been put on might be propped a little too high too early. Um, I, I'm surprised to see him um, get the jump here and get put on here. I actually, you know, I don't know the way everybody has worked. We're going to talk to some of these guys to see how they got out of school and and how it's worked. But I actually think. Madison Hughes is probably the best college fullback in America, um, and not necessarily Joe Cowley. But um, he's a good player, and we'll see how he goes. He could certainly prove me wrong. I've been wrong several times before, but I will say that out of every name I saw on this list, he was the one that... Joe Cowley used to play for Charlotte. He's fantastic. Pat, you're completely wrong on him. Um, I love this kid. <laughs> he, has, he, has the ability to, he has the ability to carve a defense. He has the ability to... His kickoff is as good as it gets. He is as good of a... As, as good of a restart kicker as you could hope to have. Um, he's safe under the high ball. 
The problem is going to be he has two relatively inexperienced wingers with him, so he's going to need a lot of protection back there in that they are going to get a steady dose of kicking at oh, the Lord, back three yes. position, and they are going to try to turn these guys around. I don't know how Gurky kicks. Uh, Craig Will does not kick well, so that is going to be a real issue. They're going to have to have serious counterattack practices and serious counterattack um, patterns in place. I think that we that's probably where you would see Chris Chapman would play in the back three because then he would give a little bit more stability to that area of um, of being able to being able to organize a defensive rotation in 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 that sense. I, th- I think that that's going to be where they struggle. I think offensively they're going to be fine. I think defensively is especially in terms of covering kicks and things of that nature where we could wind up in, in a little bit of trouble. So it's going to be it's going to be critical that we're able to keep the ball for long periods of time and then pound the team into the other into the other zone into the opposition zone. We don't want to give them much position possession toward the middle of the field where they can start peppering our back three with kicks or or put them in where they get little slow ball opportunities 25, 35 yards out, and they just pound high balls into the goal mouth and, and chase the hell out of them and, and put us under severe pressure. And, and, and if our scrum's not operating, we could, we could be, in, we could be in, a, in, a, in a deep heap of crap. So I think that that's going to be the one position that, while it can be extremely exciting from an offensive standpoint, could also be extremely uh, exciting in, 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 in the wrong way from a defensive standpoint. And I don't mean it in terms of hitting, and I don't mean it in terms of organization. I mean it in terms of counterattack. So how we deal with the opposition kicking game is critical. So I think that, you know, putting teams on the back foot, putting, getting ourselves on the front, you know, having a solid platform in the scrums, being able to catch all our restarts, being able to hang on to the ball, being able to play long periods of time with the ball in hand and just eating up a lot of the clock, take away the opportunity for teams to pepper us with kicks and, and put us in the corners and things of that nature. Cause that's going to be one area where we could struggle a little bit. Now, if we can catch the ball on the full, we have some we have some pretty talented guys who can run, so and that'll be good. But I think that in terms of the pack, they're going to have to work their butts off in order to make this a much more palatable situation. So remember, everybody, that this is a development team. This is the USA Selects trying to get players who hope to be Eagles very soon or in a few years, get them some uh, some international experience. I'm looking at this team and looking at uh, the the teams they're playing. Quick on the schedule, Friday, October 12th, this is all, this, these are all at West Hills Stadium just outside Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. Go about as west as you can and then go further west and you'll find it. Uh, October 12th, they play, uh, USA plays Argentina. Um, October 16th, the USA plays Canada. And then on the 20th, they play Uruguay. These are all, uh, possibly with the exception of Uruguay, these are all uh, second size for these teams. So you look at that, and the first thing you think of is scrum. They're all going to be very, very strong in the scrum. Second, you think they're going to kick, and they're all going to be very strong on kick. So as you said, Bruce, uh, things that are issues for this team that they're really going to sh- possibly struggle or be put under pressure on, kick defense and scrum. Strengths? They have strengths in the line-out. They have strengths on the counterattack. 
They have strengths on continuity, and they probably have strengths on kicking. But then the big question is, what what how are the how are the breakdowns going to be policed, and how the, how do they handle that, and what is their open field defense going to be like? I think all that'll be fine. My main concern, as you said, go west, young man, and keep going west, is going to be wind, which is the worst condition to play in, and I would imagine it's going to be really windy. So we're going to have to be. I think that could suit us because we'll probably play a bit off nine and ten and keep the keep the game tight and smash them up and try to win the physical contest. But the the and then how we deal with if it's raining because up there it does tend to rain a bit. I don't know if it's the rainy season at the time, but if it is, then we're going to have to really be very protective of the ball and not be not be flinging it around. The thing is, in in this kind of thing, is you can't take unnecessary chances. You, you, when it's on, you have to take a chance, and you got to be able to go for score. But when it's not on, you can't try to force uh, chicken into t- chicken salad. It, it doesn't work. It generally turns into five points for the opposition. Anyway, uh, I think that this is going to be a really exciting tournament, and I think that this podcast has gone on for quite a while. I don't know that we want to get into the Eagles at this point. And I gotta- no, we can't. We don't. We have no time. We completely ran out of time about 30 minutes ago. That's, but that's okay. Um, the temperatures are most likely going to be uh, highs in the, the 50s, up to maybe 60 degrees in uh, Victoria. And yeah, there's a likelihood of rain, by the way. I'll say what I said at the beginning. This is a development team, and it's been picked as a development team. And I'm really, really pleased with Mike Tolkien that he picked players who he thought about could be the future and not the past or even the present. I think that's great. The likelihood, and, and to sum up what we might say about the, the November Tour team, the likelihood of any of these players breaking into the existing uh, Eagles squad that's going to the UK, where they're going to take 27 players, which is not a lot, um, is low. We may see as many as three. It's possible. But I think it's going to be very, very hard for those guys to do that. Uh, unless there's an unavailability or an injury. However, I really think that you as a rugby fan should pay attention to this team because I, I, I think you should be rooting for this team. I hope they win, but even if they lose, we're there to get these players experience, and I hope that you can back them. It's very difficult to go see them in Victoria, but do what you can to support them, even with an email of support. Get on the USA Rugby uh, fan page or on Rugby Mag's uh, Facebook page and post a, a message of support. They look at those things. It matters to them. And uh, likely it'll be webcast. Um, check back with RugbyMag.com because we will have details on that and we will be showing it embedded uh, if it is webcast. And actually, the Canadians are pretty good about that if the wind and the internet connection from Victoria actually gets going and doesn't have any problems. So that is great. That is our USA Selects team. Uh, That is the future of American rugby. We're excited about that. Uh, We're excited about having Hooker Wines on board. And we're excited about having the RugbySite.com supporting us also. And, of course, thank you for the support from USA 7s the Las Vegas Invitational, and Rugby Imports. It's been great having the guys in. It's good talk. And thanks for listening to Rugger Matrix America. <laughs>